Well, I do believe last week's sermon and today are going to go hand in hand because last week Gage told the story of the Apostle Paul imprisoned and he gets a visit from Jesus himself where Jesus says, take courage. Just as you've testified in Jerusalem, you will testify in Rome. And that's a powerful word because a lot of people are out to get Paul, to kill him, to end his ministry, to end his life. The story we're going to read about today is immediately after Jesus makes a promise that things are going to endure and you're going to testify in another city, he gets the greatest threat against his life that has hit him so far. Before we turn there in the book of Acts, I want to give you a title for this sermon. The title for today is called Finding Rest in the Providence of God. Finding Rest in the Providence of God. God's providence requires a lot of time that I don't have today to truly define because it intertwines and brings together so many things that are true about God's nature. He's a sovereign God with a will and a plan. He's a caring father who offers protection and provision for his people. Jesus is our, our good shepherd who leads us on the right paths for his namesake. But I wanna talk about rest related to providence because I want to speak specifically to people who have a restlessness in their inner life today. If you struggle with anxiety or worry or lack of control over outcomes or you've got something that feels in the future like it's paralyzing you in the now, today is going to speak to you. And I want to talk about rest because when Jesus showed up, this was his announcement to humanity. It's not come to me and you'll find a new religion. Come to me and you'll find 10 steps to a better life. Come to me and I'll give you the steps. It is come to me all who are weary, burdened and heavy laden and you will find what? rest for your souls. But it's an interesting thing that Jesus would point out that your soul needs rest because most of us would just assume that what we need rest for is our body. And no doubt that's true. I heard this is one of the most powerful things I've ever heard from a theologian. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap or I would edit it, go to sleep and stop scrolling. Like that, that's a great spiritual act to get rest. But so often when we think about rest, we're focusing on what we need rest from and not what we need rest in. So it's like, I need rest from activity. I need rest from overstimulation. Any moms in the room? I need rest from just so much noise and so many things that could go wrong in my life and so much that I don't have control of. But it's not really about what you get rest from as much as it is about what you're resting in. How many of you have ever gone on a vacation, come back and felt like that was great. I do not feel rested at all. I don't feel like I got in my inner life what my outer circumstances we're supposed to be experiencing. There are way too many of you nodding right now. It sounds like there's some sad vacationers in the room at Auburn Community Church. That's because it's, yes, resting from something is great, but way more important to focus on what are you resting in to find peace? And most of you have never really connected the rest your soul longs for to the providence of God. What is God's providence? God's providence is God's ability to bring together the macro plan he has for the world and intertwine it with the micro plan he has for his children. Yes, it's his control and his overseeing of the story on a grand scale, but it's also his ability to be so intimately involved in the little details of everything that is going on along the way. Providence is what I witnessed yesterday at Gage's mom's funeral. Like God knew 
the exact number of days and hours that Renee Henry was going to live on earth. But he didn't have to make her funeral take place at the same church where Gage and I were baptized when we were first graders. He's four years younger than me, so it was a different time, but we're both standing in front of the baptistry where we were dunked in a moment that none of us thought we would be standing in, but you could feel God's providence in it. So he's got providence over her life, but he's also got details in the story that if you're paying attention, you go, man, this life is unpredictable and it is painful and it is hard and it is difficult, but God's providence is not only is God in control of the overarching plan, but he's individually, intricately, and intimately communicating with me on my journey to remind me that I am his. Now, I read every catechism's definition of the word providence, and none of them would really make sense to you. So I was reading like the Heidelberg Confession, the the Westminster uh, Confession of Faith, and, and they all talk about providence, but with words that you might not understand. So I tried to take their definition of providence and put it in ACC language for you guys. You ready for this? Here, here's your definition, ACC version. Providence, God's providence equals provision plus protection plus purpose. Try to make it as easy as I could and memorable as I could. It's God's provision, his protection, and his purpose all encompassed into one. What is provision? Provision is supplying what you need for where you're called. Provision is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides, the God who is enough, the God who is always going to give you what you need for what he has called you to. But it's not just his ability to get you stuff. It's his protection from stuff that you're not even aware of. God is protecting you, your family, your story in more ways than you can see in the seen realm that we sit in right now. And we've gotten a little bit of a taste of this in the last couple of months as we ventured into waters of, hey, there's an unseen battle going on that we don't really know all the details of, but there's some stuff we've been ignoring for a while that we need to pay attention to. There's a real battle going on and that can scare you until you remember the fact that the sovereign God who placed his spirit on the inside of you is the same God who has promised you that he will complete everything he initiates in your life until the day of Christ Jesus. There are things that are coming against you that are being thwarted and done away with in ways that you cannot see because God's not just a provider, he's also a protector. But just when you think, oh, God's my little assistant in heaven who's just looking after me and getting me stuff and making sure I'm good and protected, you gotta throw in that third word, purpose. God has a purpose for your life and it's not just like God has a purpose and a job and a career and an income and a number of kids for you. No, 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 I'm not talking about that purpose. It's about the overarching purpose of declaring Jesus wins as the headline of your life. Now, when you take all of those three things and kind of smash them together, that's God's providence. It's God will provide, he will protect according to his individual purpose for your life. And I believe, everybody look at me and don't miss this. I believe there is a lack of peace in the inner life of Auburn Community Church because we have not connected the peace we desire on the inside to the providence that God has revealed through his scriptures. There are promises accessible to you that you are not holding on to, that you are not activating from within, that if you did, even the madness that surrounds you in this world and the madness that might be surrounding you circumstantially does not have to mean the end of your peace on the inside. So do you want to catch a glimpse into what gave the Apostle Paul peace to continue to be faithful to God even when circumstances took a turn for the worse? And that's a light way of saying it. His circumstances took a worse turn than anything anybody in this room has probably ever faced. And I don't say that lightly because you're going to read what he faced in just one second. Do you want that kind of peace? Are you starving for an inner breath to be able to go, God, I want to let go of everything that's keeping me up all night and governing my thoughts and my emotions and my soul. Did you bring your Bible this morning?
at all of our locations. If you have your Bible, hold it up, hold it up, hold it up, hold it up, hold it up high. Krishan, Ember, I want you to get a chance to look around because I know you don't get to see this every week. It's pretty impressive, right? All right, we, we, we bring our Bibles. Keep your Bible up if you believe that New York City is the greatest city in the world. If you're like, New York's number one. Whoa, whoa. He just ran out of friends in a hurry. Turn with me to Acts chapter 23. Acts chapter 23. I would honestly say New York number two. It used to be number one. London is number one in, in my mind right now. I just love it. And I, I'll just say it. Like I, we went to London and New York in the past year. And in one city, I smelled like weed the whole time. And in the other city, it was much cleaner. So that's the only reason why London was able to overtake you guys. We got to do something about that. But that's your job as a pastor out there. Okay, Acts, <laughs> Acts chapter 23, we're going to pick up in verse 12. Literally the next morning after that encounter with Jesus that Gage preached about last week. I cannot say this enough today. If you didn't watch Gage's sermon, you have to to watch that sermon. So important to understand where we're going today. Acts chapter 23, verse 12. If you're there, say I'm there. It says, the next morning, some Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. More than 40 men were involved in this plot. They went to the chief priests and the elders and said, we have taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we have killed Paul. Now then, you and the Sanhedrin petitioned the commander to bring him before you on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about his case. We are ready to kill him before he gets there. Stop right there. I want you to make sure you see what's happening here. Paul's imprisoned in this back and forth trial with the Sanhedrin. The Jews want him dead. The Romans are trying to figure out, wait, is this just a dispute about their religion? Because that doesn't sound like something worthy of death or, or whatever. So this group of Jews, they get impatient and they go, okay, here's what we're gonna do. You're gonna petition the Roman commander to have him sent to you for more questions. But while he's on the way, we got over 40 guys who have taken an oath. And watch this, Th that word oath or vow is not the right word. It's actually called down a curse. They went before God at least the God of their mind, and said, may a curse be on us and our families if we have another bite to eat or drink of water or wine before that man has died. And just when you think like these are like 40 Jewish rabbis who are, no, no, no. These are 40 Jewish zealots who are known assassins who have probably taken multiple lives during their time on earth, maybe half of them, trained to kill, waiting under the pretext of, hey, just move him from there to there. And while he's on the way, we'll take care of this. We got our daggers ready. We are going to knock him out. Now watch what happens next. Verse 16. But when the son of Paul's sister heard of this plot, he went into the barracks and told Paul. We don't hear a lot about Paul's family in the scriptures. It's kind of assumed that most of them disowned him. This is actually the only moment where we hear anything about Paul's immediate family. It's his nephew, the son of his sister. Didn't know he had a sister, but there it is. He goes into the barracks and tells Paul, verse 17. Then Paul called one of the centurions and said, take this young man to the commander. He has something to tell you. So he took him to the commander. The centurion said, Paul, the prisoner sent for me and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took the young man by the hand, drew him aside and asked, what is it you want to tell me? He said, some Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul before the Sanhedrin tomorrow on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about him. Don't give in to them because more than 40 of them are waiting in ambush for him. 
They have taken an oath not to eat or drink until they have killed him. They are ready now, waiting for your consent to their request. The commander dismissed the young man with this warning. Don't tell anyone that you have reported this to me. Then he called two of his centurions and ordered them, get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at nine at night. Provide horses for Paul so that he may be taken safely to Governor Felix. The rest of Acts 23 is the letter that is written from the commander to Felix that will set the stage for Paul's time in Caesarea. But here's what I want you to see about what we're reading today. In the moment where 40-something guys come together and go, we're not eating or drinking again until Paul is dead. And they've got the perfect plan to take him out in secret. Paul's life as he knows it is over. In God's providence, Paul's nephew hears about it, whispers to Paul about it while he's in prison. Paul tells him who to talk to. And through a crazy, crazy change of circumstances, that very night at nine o'clock at night, Paul is escorted by 470 Roman soldiers from Jerusalem to Caesarea. I like to think that there were 47 assassins who were going after Paul because 10 times that number would be 470, the number of soldiers who are escorting Paul. Literally, while those 47 guys are humiliated and starving, they called upon curses on themselves and they're gonna have no way of getting to Paul. Paul is riding on horseback with almost 500 Roman soldiers to protect him and transport him into what is next. Providence, providence. What did I say providence was? It was provision, protection, and purpose. What, what was the provision? The provision was Paul's nephew hearing about it. God is providing the information, getting it to the forefront, getting it to his prison cell. What was the protection? Hello, almost 500 Roman soldiers, but get this. And this is what so many of you have skipped about the nature of our God. God doesn't distribute provision and protection randomly. He does so according to a specific purpose. So why is God sovereign looking after Paul and allowing this story to unfold with such an immediate turn and getting Paul somewhere else. Here's why. Go back to verse 11 in Acts 23. This is the verse Gage preached into our souls last week. It said, the following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Do y'all see that? The night before, Paul is told, Hey, 40 something guys have called a curse down to take your life. The night before, Jesus said, Take courage. You've testified here, you will testify in Rome. What do you do when what Jesus says looks nothing like what you see? The next morning, hey, you're going to die today. Which one is it? When you see that the purpose of God to get Paul to Rome for his glory to spread, was always going to outweigh the efforts of man to take him out. You see what was intended to be the source of Paul's peace. And it's not information from Jesus about the specifics of the plan. Notice this, guys, what could Jesus have said the night before? He could have said, hey, huge warning. Uh, tomorrow, 40-something guys going to try to kill you. You need to let that commander know. And then they're going to transport you to Caesarea. And then I need you to give a good message to Felix there. You're actually going to wait there for two years until somebody else takes over. Like, this is not, it's not what Jesus does. Jesus gives him enough information to take the next step by faith. 
Why? We've been saying it for years. God gives enough clarity to take the next step, but not enough certainty to eliminate faith. If you're looking for a roadmap to peace in following Jesus, here's peace, providence. Here's providence. God has not assigned you to figuring out every detail of his providential story in your life. He has assigned you to stay close enough to him to hear his voice and see his face. Because if you hear the last thing he said to you, you'll have enough peace to take the next step. One of my favorite sermons in the life of our church is I'm a sheep. This mind-blowing reality was years ago. I need to do it again because it's something that we all need to remember. This is the pathway to anxiety. It's God has called his voice in your life the voice of a shepherd. And so in reaction to that, you see this humiliating reality. God considers me to be like a sheep, which can seem humiliating. But when you think about it long enough, it's actually super comforting. It means God doesn't expect you to be very smart. He doesn't expect you to know a lot about the plan. He doesn't expect you to know where the provision is going to come from. He doesn't expect you to have all the narrative figured out. He does expect you to do the one thing a sheep does well, which is hear. And a sheep hears the difference between the voice of the shepherd and the voice of a robber and the voice of another. Your job in this life is not to figure out with your plans how to control every narrative of the journey. Your job is to remain close enough to the shepherd so you can still hear his voice and see his face. And so Paul's peace doesn't come from knowing how it's gonna unfold. It comes from having an intimate relationship with the one who's in charge of the sovereign story and hold on for dear life to the last thing he said to you. Now I know, I know what so many of you are thinking. Do not miss this. It is like that that is so easy to say about Paul because he's got Jesus visiting him in prison cells and he's writing the Bible. Like, like I'm supposed to get my peace from Jesus talking to me. And I know 40 something assassins coming after you, but this was a pretty quick deliverance. God doesn't deliver me that quickly from stuff that I'm going through. Okay. I want to tell you two things about, about that pushback. Number one, I would argue just as strongly as Paul is able to stay connected to the voice of Jesus, so are you because you're holding the Holy Scriptures in your hands. You have a doorway to God speaking to you in real time that I would argue is an easier doorway to walk through than so much of what Paul had to fight through. You literally have a relational God who wants to speak to you and he wants you to hold on to what he is saying about your life and about your story. But the other thing I want you to know is that yes, Paul was delivered quickly. And yes, you have a lot that you can freak out about in this life. But what I want you to see in Paul's story is, yes, this was a deliverance, but it wasn't a deliverance that, del that delivered him completely from danger. He's being escorted by 500 Roman soldiers, which is awesome, but he's the prisoner. Like, he still has a difficult situation he's in. His life is still up in the air, day by day by day. So you might read this and go, yeah, it must be nice to have God coming through for you like that. Coming through for you on what level? What it means for God to be providential over your life is for him to speak to you in real time and give you enough information about his purpose for you so that you can find peace in going, if I'm still breathing, I still have a next part of the journey. That's where the peace is supposed to come from. So yes, you, you have a lot that you can and somewhat should be afraid of in this life, no doubt, especially if you care about the people you love around you. It's okay to struggle with fear. It's okay to be sitting here today and going, I'm reading what's happening in the world and I'm kind of freaking out or I'm reading of what's happening to some of my family members or I got a diagnosis and it's kind of scaring me, no doubt. Here is the ultimate peace I can give you from Acts 23 today. And if you missed everything I've said so far, please come back to me right now because this is so good. Paul 
when Jesus tells him, you have an assignment to witness in Rome. In a very literal sense, as soon as Jesus says that to Paul, he has become immortal until he testifies in Rome. Follow me on this. And don't just follow me. Stole it from John Piper. Human beings who are in Christ, this is not for you if you don't know Jesus personally. We hope and pray that's going to change soon in your story. If you know Jesus, you are in a very real sense immortal until you have testified to his grace for the final time in his eyes. Now, that doesn't mean, oh, well, great. If I still have a message to go, I'll just jump out of an airplane with no parachute and see how it goes for me. I guess I'm immortal now until I testify. No, 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 no. That, that, that's actually the sin of presupposing something in theology that makes you react in a way that's actually sinful against God. That's not what we do with the sovereignty of God. What we do with the sovereignty of God is find comfort to know, hold on, Paul can hold on to the fact that there's still another opportunity to witness, and so there's still another chapter to the story, and so can you. Why? Look at me. Because you're here. You're still breathing. The fact that you are still alive right now means that the sovereign, providential God of the universe is not done using your story, this side of heaven, for his glory. And I can promise you, the second he is done using that story, For his glory, this side of eternity, you'll know. Why? How do you know? He'll be right in front of you. You'll be with him. When God deems your time of living out your mission for his glory over, that is when your breath expires. But as long as you have breath, you got a story to tell and you have an assignment to step into. And I love this picture because it allows you to shift from just dreading uncertainty and fearing what might happen to allowing the sovereignty of God to make it all an adventure. I know we we dread things we don't know about. I know that right now in our church, there's been so many funerals in the last couple of weeks. Gage is not the only family that's grieving right now. There's like by the dozens people hurting in our church. There's a lot of fear. Whoa, I just feel like the brevity of life is just so vulnerable. It's on display in front of me right now. I want you to have this comfort to know That if God has declared providence over your journey, that moment is not going to hit you as a Christian by accident or outside of his will. It will hit you the moment he deems it. You're finished testifying on this side. Come and be with me forever. And it allows you to enjoy the dangerous parts of the journey as an adventure. Because then you're like, if someone's going to take me out, it's going to take me out because he knows about it. But until then, what's my assignment? To testify. I know it was scary, but there's got to be a part of Paul that looks around at 500 Roman soldiers escorting him to Caesarea on horseback and goes, those guys were trying to kill me. I'm getting escorted by a battalion right now. This is kind of awesome. That's what the Christian life should be like. It should be, yeah, this is so like so much fear and so much anxiety around me. And there's a lot going on and a lot that could go wrong. But at the same time, I'm like walking so closely with Jesus and watching God come through for me in miraculous ways and seeing people's lives change. And so as much as I hate the fact that I can't control outcomes and I can't put my arms around all this and something horrible might happen, at the end of the day, it's kind of awesome being on a journey and an adventure with him. And I'm so tired of seeing Christians sitting on their hands because they don't have control and they're worried about what's gonna happen next. Your peace comes from going, you'll let me know. If this story's come to an end, until then, my job is to testify. And my peace comes from knowing that I'm actually doing that. 
Here's the whole sermon in one sentence today. God has attached provision and protection to your unique purpose in his story for your life. God has attached those two things, provision, what you need, and protection, attacks you don't know about, to your unique purpose in his story, circle his story, for your life. Our problem, and let this sink into your soul today, our problem is that we are worried about the provision and the protection without submitting to the mission. We spend all of our energy going, will I have enough? Will it go the way I want it to go? Will I be protected? What if something hits me? And we don't spend our energy going, am I even submitted to the purpose in the first place? See, God doesn't want our mental energy and our emotional energy spent on provision and protection. That's his job. Your job is surrender. Your job is, am, am I still a part of the mission going out there? But when all of your energy is, I just have to consume my time and all of my attention on figuring this stuff out. What you don't realize the enemy is stealing from you is he's stealing with you. He's stealing from you the doorway to your peace, which is connecting to God's providence. You go, hold on, that's his job. But providence includes purpose. And if your life is not submitted to God's purpose for your life, you should be the most anxious person within the sound of my voice because you are, in a very real sense, on your own. God does not bring the miraculous provision and the supernatural protection to people who could care less about his purpose. Oh, he does have a common grace and he does do things for people within his own wisdom because he's just that good and compassionate and slow to anger. Don't get me wrong. But if you want real peace that comes from the providence of God today, it's really about asking the question, am I in on the purpose? Do I have a next opportunity to witness? Does anybody know about Jesus because I'm alive? Is anybody's life being transformed because of what Jesus has done in me? If you're like, no, 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 and I really don't plan on changing, you should be freaking out about what might happen in your life because you're not surrendered to what connects you to the peace and providence of God, which is attached to are you living for his purpose and his mission on your life? Is this helping anybody see the doorway to their peace? It's really about simplifying your life around the word of God. Very quickly, I got two things for you that are not easy for me to live out, and then we're gonna take communion. Number one, I want you to learn to delight in the fact that you are not in control of the story. Learn to delight in the fact that you are not in control of the story. Our lack of control doesn't have to be the thing that tears you down. This is a personal lesson for me that goes along with what happened to Paul in Acts 23. But I, uh, in my personality, I want control so bad. I want to know that my kids are going to be protected so bad. I want to know where in the world we're going to meet and have room for everybody to come to church so bad. Like I, I want to control outcomes. I do. But I have found it's actually a really, really, really positive thing for it to not be on you. And there's a lot of really, really good sleep that could be yours if you would start to embrace it instead of fighting it. Like learn to delight. I'm not in control. That's really good news because if I was, whoa, that's a lot of responsibility. But you're telling me today, Miles, my responsibility is stay close enough to Jesus personally so I can still hear his voice and make sure I'm articulating who he is to a lost, dark, and broken world. And then everything else will just be taken care of. Yes, it's exactly what I'm, no, it's not what I'm saying. It's what Jesus said. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and what? All these things will be given to you as well. Guys, we gotta stop recoiling away from not being in control like it's our enemy and start running to it like it's kind of awesome. I like that I don't number my days, he does because he's more wise than me.
I like that he is in control of the story. And that doesn't mean that horrible things are never going to happen. You guys do know Paul will be martyred once he gets to Rome and testifies. Once he finishes that, that's it. It's over. But on the road to doing that, oh, he's going to write so many books of the New Testament. He's going to testify before rulers and leaders. And this message, this gospel is going to go out. He's not responsible for all the repercussions of that or knowing what day it's all going to end. He's just responsible for delighting in the fact, hey, I'm not in control. And this is kind of awesome watching God move. I want you to enjoy God's providence relationally. I cannot tell you what it was like for me yesterday to stare at the place where Gage and I as seven-year-olds were baptized and think about God's hand in it all and go, man, this is so hard, but your, your fatherly hand on my journey is so felt. Some of you who have never lived like this, you think you're just gonna make it to heaven with a limited amount of suffering because you've chosen to mix the comfort of this world with the calling to live in the kingdom of God. What you don't realize is you don't have those sweet moments of intimacy with your heavenly father where he goes, I know it's hard, but my hands are all around your journey and I'm gonna see to it that I complete everything I started in your life. You are never ever gaining anything by going half-hearted in the kingdom of God you are missing out on the greatest treasure, which is Jesus. Learn to delight in the fact that you're not in control. And then lastly, learn to surrender to the fact that you are not in the center of the story. All series long, the simplicity of Paul's life in the book of Acts is, it's not your story. It's not about you. It's not for you. You have considered your life worth nothing in order to what? Acts 20, 24, it's our theme for the year to complete the task of testifying to the grace of God, to finishing our race well. And so I ask you today, can you find rest in the providence of God by submitting and surrendering your life to being all about Jesus? You want peace? It comes from laying your need to control the narrative down in light of the fact that the narrative is not about your name or your glory. It's about magnifying him. The ultimate place we see this on display is the cross of Jesus. And I want you to know today, the cross is the ultimate picture of provision and protection and purpose all colliding. God is providing the forgiveness of our sins. He's protecting us from an eternity separated from him. Oh, and he's given us a purpose and a mission to tell this story and spread this gospel into every corner of planet earth, starting right where you're sitting right now. So get your elements out for communion. I want you to have a moment to consider whether or not you are finding rest for your soul in the providence of God. If you didn't get one, you can just raise your hand all over this location, all over our other locations. Our team will come and find you. Uh, this is a moment that we set aside for believers in Jesus. So if you don't consider yourself to be a believer in Jesus, maybe you just want to reflect. But today is a beautiful day. It's a great day to be transformed from death to life. And it's a beautiful day to give your life to Jesus. Don't think that you are not invited to the table or the party. Because of the blood of Jesus, you're invited into the family. You give your life to Jesus. Just a simple prayer. Jesus, I give you my life. If you do know him, as you take communion, I want you to consider... Have I found rest in God's providence over my story? And what would it look like this week for me to start testifying to the good news of God's grace by aligning my story with the ultimate story of the glory of Jesus? 
Let's remember his body and his blood. Let's remember we have this access to Jesus just because of what he's done on the cross. And then we'll exalt the name of Jesus through song. Y'all are blessed to take communion and then we'll come right back.